0: to another episode of the Strategy Inside Everything. We have a big show today. We have a studio audience packed to the rafters here. You uh, uh-huh. prepare. We're going to have a laugh track going. It's going to be the real deal here today. Um, and I'm excited because we have the SVP, and Chief Marketing Officer at RPA, Mr. Tim Leek. Tim, how are you?
1: I'm doing great, Adam. Thank you for having me.
0: Tim, I think you were one of the first five people I invited onto the show and now uh-huh. we're in the we're in episode 30. So I'm glad oh. that we were finally able to work it out.
1: Well, thank you for, for making me one of the first five. That's amazing. And I apologize that it took this long to make happen. And, but I was actually super glad to have heard some of the amazing earlier episodes because it's going to make this episode so much better.
0: Well, I raised the bar for you. If you would have called earlier, it would have been like, hey, just say whatever you want. But now there's been a lot of really good episodes and content. You've to live so. up to all the good ones. Exactly. There's a, there's a lot of buildup now. So, Tim, uh, normally I like people to um, give the listeners a background, a little bit of you know, what you've done and where you've been. And, and in your case, that's going to play into a bigger part of the conversation. But if you could give them a, an overview, we'll, we'll dive in and I'll start uh, peppering you with questions.
1: Oh, uh, sounds good. Well, I mean, we're what we're here to talk about today is change in general. And um, so my background, I've worked in advertising for it's something like 22 years, a little longer than that, actually. And uh, I got my start on the, the creative side of this industry at Shite Day here in Los Angeles. And I was a copywriter. Um, I, I worked at a couple other agencies. I freelance for a while. And then I was at Sachi and Saatchi in New York as a creative director. Uh, and then, I, and then I pivoted and I left the advertising world for uh, just a couple of years. And I, I had started speaking with and then eventually went to work full time for a Swedish company called Hyper Island that is a training organization. They're a school in Sweden, but in, in the States, it's, it's more of a training consultancy. We, we created bespoke trainings basically to help people deal with change and then did that for a few years. And I do still speak with them by the way, they're still a great company and uh, but but from a full-time job, uh, one of my clients was uh, an agency called RPA here in Santa Monica and um, we created a different sort of role that I could come out here and that was to uh, basically own the marketing of of the agency and uh, and how could we help build ourselves to be what we need to be in the future and be what's right for in a changing marketplace uh to be what's right for our clients, uh both existing and new. So I, I now oversee our, our marketing, our new business. Uh um we, we have a great PR team, um, as well as uh being on the executive team that just tries to help us get where we need to go.
0: Nice. And I have to tell you, living in Santa Monica really sucks. Yeah. It's, it's terrible. It's actually there. pretty it's terrible weather. It's actually pretty
1: awesome. You know, I'm surprised. It doesn't yeah. sound like <laughs> you've been here. Um yeah. it's it's beautiful out I today. Haven't. It's like sunny and breezy and perfect
0: every single day. Yeah.
1: Every single day. I mean, coming, coming from New York where they're in the middle of another heat wave, it went straight from winter to summer there this year. I was there oh. for 10 years and I don't miss it that much. Um,
0: no, definitely honest. not the weather. I
1: love change, but not, not so much in the weather.
0: Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> 72 and sunny is pretty
1: great. It's a pretty perfect name for an agency base here.
0: Yeah. No shit. Let's talk about, um, let's talk about change. So you and I have talked about this a couple of times, uh, About being at Hyper Island and kind of having a revelation of of what it was, because I think when Hyper Island, my understanding of it, and correct me if I if I either misunderstood the marketing materials or um, just have a wrong impression, but it was like, hey, there's a lot of traditional marketers out there and a lot of traditional advertising people out there. Hyper Island is a place where you can kind of be immersed in digital thinking for whatever length of time, and then you come out. Uh, understanding those things a lot better.
1: Yeah, that's probably a a good representation of what the marketing materials said. And what's interesting about Hyper Island is, you know, you have to sell, you have to sell what people want, but then you want to give them what they need. And what I always find fascinating about Hyper is, is you're selling on this idea of, hey, people feel like they don't understand digital and they need to figure out what digital is and how to understand that what, what hyper gives people is, is, an understanding of change and it's changed through a digital lens. But why that's important is the, the, my, my first interaction with hyper Island was nearly 10 years ago at this point. And, you know, I remember shortly after that, we were all, we were all really excited to get our beta invitations to Google wave. If you remember what that was. Right. And I do remember,
0: it's, yeah.
1: you know, it's it actually kind of was like Slack, but, uh, it was beforehand and it didn't, it didn't succeed at all. And there's been so many things that have come and gone and come and gone and changed in that landscape over just the last 10 years that to have done anything, we were talking about the best practices of whatever digital was at that moment, that that's pointless. Right. And whereas if, if you can create a, a learning mindset and, 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 the ability within people to simply adapt to change and to be really curious and to try new things and to quickly get good at them, then you're always going to be on the cutting edge. And that's that's basically what Hyper Island as a school and as a training program has always been about. So it's, I think, become a little trickier now that there isn't as much thirst for digital training, I think, as there was, you know, five to 10 years ago. But there's certainly still mm-hmm. a need for change uh, management. Is it
0: more about... Is it more about flexibility now? I mean, from your forget hyper island, but mm-hmm. from from your point of view, Tim, is it is it more about flexibility and kind of plasticity of your mind to be able to jump, you know, jump streams and think about things in a different yeah, way? Yeah, I like
1: that. I like that word plasticity that you just used. I think that's better than flexibility because flexibility, I guess, you know, to me, it implies that I'm open minded to something. Pl- plas-
0: plasticity. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> There was an extra S.
1: plasticity. Thank you. I, it didn't sound right to me. Um, as plasticity, um, is, is much more about, um, allowing your mind to maybe to reshape itself and, and evolve and, and, and be malleable. And I think that's, what's different is mm-hmm. we've, you know, as we go through our careers, we develop a certain set of muscle memory and we're used to doing things the same way. And in particular, if the way we've been doing those things has been successful for us, we are disincentivized to want to change that. And, and, and yet the change is going to happen in the world no matter what. And it's, it's very, the weird thing about change is not things don't change equilaterally. Things don't change the same Something changes over here and that has a ripple effect on, on things over here. And so a lot of times you have to look at stuff that sort of looks the same. I, I, I like to just use TV commercials as an example because TV commercials functionally look the same. They still run in between commercial breaks on a television show that you're usually watching on TV. And I, I mean, I mean actual TV commercials, not just online video. Actual TV commercials, and yet right, right. the way that the audience responds to them today is in a completely different context than what we had before. We have different technology, uh, both with to skip the commercial or to distract ourselves while the commercial is on, or we simply have trained ourselves to ignore it. What, what, what it what, how it works is different, so that's that's why we have to think of it through a slightly different lens, and yet it's not actually a lot different than it used to be. Does that make sense?
0: No, the me- the mechanics of it are the same, but it's the way it's received or not not received, I guess, is what's really changed the, the culture and the acceptance to the idea of the commercial. It seems like much more of a tax now than it did uh, when, when we were yeah, starting out.
1: Yeah, for sure. And so I guess that's that's what's fascinating. So you have to be, um, you, you know, your mind has to be malleable about what makes for a good commercial and and what's changed about that and you have to be constantly looking for for how that evolves and how to challenge yourself. And I think you know it's it's actually a fairly logical step to go from being a creative to this sort of this sort of mindset. and I, I'm also fascinated by your transition from moving from a creative director to a strategy director and and because I think there's similar sort of things we have to challenge you have to be creative about this and you have to be curious. and I think all the best creative people are curious and they want they want to challenge themselves around it uh i see the best creative people because there are some creative people who just like pretty pictures um and 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 want to make you know pretty things but that's that's not the job we have to do (laughs) we have to be you know no I, i like to say we you know we create solutions we don't just create ads we create solutions we we need to be creative about everything we do um from the strategy to the execution, to how we place it out there in the world, um, all aspects of that.
0: There's no room for just creating ads anymore. I mean, I, I don't think there. it makes sense for business to be making ads. It ha, it has to tie in to something greater and mean something as a connection between the consumer and culture and the brand. Otherwise, it's, you're just, it, you're really just pushing yeah. pixels and, around. And
1: the, you know, the funny thing is, and sort of the older I get, the more I realize that's there's always an exception to every single rule. I mean, certainly there's going to be some brands that you could just make commercials for, and that would probably be strategically sufficient. Um, and I say yeah. brands; it might be well, more true about a, a certain products, right? Um, because they can sell themselves that simply. But certainly for most, and for most sophisticated brands, you know, brands that are are, are really heavily commoditized, and or brands that that you know the, they're looking for advertising to. Provide an unfair advantage because of the creativity for those kind of brands. Yes, totally true. What you just said.
0: Talk about change. So, in in a CMO role, especially an internal CMO role, the difference between that and the copywriter on one hand is so different. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, you know, there's a lot of similarities where you have to see a problem and distill it down. Um, so for all that's changed in your career, talk to me about some of the things that are, have been somewhat constant. Yeah.
1: So that's a great question. Um, so one of the interesting things, I mean, just to talk about the CMO role for a second, because I think I'm probably unlike most people who have that title in an agency. I don't think a lot of people come from a creative background into that role. And I, I don't think I do it the same way probably as a lot of them. You know, for better or worse, uh, there's strengths that I have and weaknesses that I have that others would have. I think one of the the, the most awesome thing about the agency that I work at now, RPA, is that I think we have a very open uh, point of view to crafting a position around the player. And uh, I always think that's a... I've always believed that that's the right way to do it because everybody has their own strengths. And if we just try to put ourselves into a particular box, that's not going to help. And so I'm able to then approach this role a lot more from a creative mindset because I've been given permission to do that than an, an account director's mindset, which I'm not good at that. (laughs) Right. I've got, I've got, (laughs) I've got other people, uh, namely account directors. Um, and then some people on my team that they can help, uh, offset my weaknesses there because I, I, but I'm much better at thinking conceptually around it, at thinking about how everything communicates, right? And so the similarities, to get back to your question, between when you're a copywriter and with what I'm doing now, is still fundamentally, it's, it's all about how, how can we use creativity to help communicate something and get people to pay attention? It, in the role that I have now, I'm focused primarily well, it's twofold. I mean, I'm focused primarily on doing that for the agency, but of course, every time then a new business pitch comes up, I'm focused on on how does that, uh, how do we tell that story through the lens of of whatever client we're pitching as well, right? Um, right, right? And you know, of course, I'm joined by a whole team, right? You know, by that point, we we have we have strategy directors and creative directors, and everybody else is doing that as well, and so we all collaborate on that. But it's. Um, it's still the same in, in terms of trying to just approach it from, from a creative standpoint and a strategic standpoint to go, all right, what's going to be compelling here? How do we choose the right words? I'm still a big believer in words. I think words really matter. Um, like, oh God, yeah. you know, one of the things we're, we're a very people centric agency and, um, this has been a belief of mine for a long time, but I've made it a bigger belief here at RPA is they don't like that word consumer used it a second ago and it's everybody in the industry uses it, of course. But I don't understand why we don't just use the word people most of the time, because I think the word consumer mm-hmm. dehumanizes the people that we're trying to make an emotional connection with. And, and I find that problematic because to me, words matter. And and so, you know, as a writer by trade, the finding those right words is a big difference. It's easy to sort of know what we're going to say, but then the specific words that you put in a specific order, those matter. And, and even in the role now, I'm never quite satisfied, right? Like come up with whatever, whatever we've written on on the website at the moment about the agency and I'm never satisfied with it. I'm always changing it. The uh, most dangerous thing is I, I have an admin account to the, agency website so i can go and change the copy (laughs) um (laughs) when when suddenly i don't like it this week and and then and then i switch it back next week sometimes um i I like to call it a b testing but it's really just me changing my mind yeah um but but there's that's that's what's similar right is um there's still fundamentally no matter what we're doing we're we're about communicating that and then uh and then inspiring people. I, I hate the word selling too, because I, I don't think we try to sell ideas to the clients, even though that's what we say. It's it shouldn't be about that. It should be you know mutually together finding the right solution. Um, I always like the word inspire better because if if maybe they aren't seeing the vision that we're seeing, we have to figure out how to inspire clients to to see what we see in this opportunity and vice versa. We have to train ourselves to see what they see uh, out in the world so that we can, we can really do a good job solving the problems.
0: I've been thinking about it recently as serving it to them. It's not, it's not selling it to them. It's here it is on a platter, (laughs) dig in, take it apart and, and, you know, digest it, think about it. And tell, give us feedback. You
1: know that. what's interesting because you use the word "serve." Geez, I'm, I'm really being, I'm really being a word nerd today. Um, This is, this is, this is. Awesome. And I'm not normally like this, but I, but today I am. Uh, is actually we've got, we've got a, a, a management philosophy at the agency that we call servant leadership. We don't call it that; it's called servant leadership. <laughs> um, and, and it's something our CEO practiced a lot, and and as an executive team, we've we've. We're working on implementing it throughout because it is a very people-centric way of looking at the world, and what what basically, in a nutshell, it's all about. As leaders, our job is to serve those who work for us, and if we, and that doesn't mean doing what they tell us. Like we're not slaves; it's not slave leadership. It's servant leadership. It's it's paying attention to their needs and how can we as leaders uh, bring what. Uh, our associates need in order to thrive and in order to be successful. I, it's fascinating. There's tons of books out there on the subject, um, and and we have a couple clients who who you know have the same management style as well. And I think it's very unusual actually in the advertising industry. But when you said "served," I, I I interpreted it that way. Meaning, serve them because it's not about selling them an idea. It's actually, it's our job to give the clients what they need. And so, when we serve right, them, exactly. we are giving them what they need. That's not how you meant it, I don't think. <laughs> but
0: no, it isn't.
1: Uh, but that was a really interesting interpretation of it. I thought
0: it's a, it's a nice yes and. <laughs> um Well, but I going back to uh, words and how important they are. I just 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 two minutes ago was on a call where uh, I was presenting a brief and the client rightfully were in section one, the audience (laughs) and they just leaned in on one sentence that was in there describing the audience about a trait. Yeah. And that that's as far as I got in the call because (laughs) It it was, that was the rest of the call. They were saying, yeah, they were saying, well, that's not really what this is about. It's not about this one trait. And they were right about that being not, necessary to the brief. Right. And so everything else after that was like, well, yeah. Okay. I'm just taking notes I know. now. Let me see how I can, let me see what I can learn here and make this better.
1: Well, you know, it's funny because it, it's one of the challenges because words do matter. And then, um, you know, you'd have to, I, I'd be curious to get your two cents of this again, especially as a former, a former creative creative director and, and, and now uh, director of strategy. Um, those words matter, but when the words are in a brief, the, it's like we finally tuned these words to get the words just perfect, but then those aren't the words that end up in the ads. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, in fact, creatives consider it a failure if they use any of the words that are on the brief in the ad.
0: A lot of time. A lot of time and so I'd be curious how, how you but feel I, about that. I think about it a lot uh, because it the brief is the ad that you're writing to the creative mm-hmm. people or to whoever is going to take that brief and do something with it. And so you have to, it has to be inspiring. And I know that the copywriter who is probably a word geek and has a seven different thesauruses, thesauri, I'm not sure. Uh, it will be taking each word of the single most important idea and taking it apart and saying, well, what if I do something mm-hmm. off of this word? What if I do something off of this? Oh, but it's, it's an adjective. It's not this. So maybe I should make it this. <laughs> and if you, if you put in a word or a, or a, or the wrong Prefix or the wrong suffix on a word, or you you conjugate something in a different tense, it can take them down a totally crazy different road where it's yeah. just like, I wasn't paying attention, but they took it as meaning something in the past tense, and now they're giving me all this stuff that's historical found footage, right, right, versus you know modern. So it's amazing where the brain goes. That that creative team or the digital team that has to dream up an idea will take. They're going to be immersed in that thing for 10 hours or longer. Mm -hmm. Right. So those words really matter when, when somebody is just isolating themselves and, and daydreaming about it all day.
1: Well, and and it's an interesting thing too, because you, I've always loved the creative process because there's no right answer. You just keep going and you have to be willing to let ideas die. You have to be willing to let it go. Not that wasn't quite right, but the brief, is meant to be the right answer (laughs) you you know what i mean all the work all the work is coming off of that so and yet, you only get one shot really right other than little going back and forth and and or or tweaking the brief once the creative idea doesn't match it but everybody loves the creative idea sometimes that happens i'm sure not with you not with us of course course, none (laughs) of us but i've heard that that happens
0: You know, and just on this call that I just use as an example, I did, I am getting another crack at it. And I, when they, when there's a critique of the brief, I do take it as an opportunity to rewrite the thing or to go find some other inspiration to take a round two on it if I can, if, because I know that the work, if I talk someone into taking a brief that they don't love, they're never going to like the work that comes out Mm -hmm. of it. They're going to be resistant to it right off the bat. And it's going to be a nightmare, um, And that's, that's bad for everybody.
1: Well, and, you know, going back to the whole point of the words matter, the interesting thing is very often a creative concept can actually unlock a strategy that couldn't have really been expressed any other way, but then the way that the creative just expressed it, you know? And so um, sometimes that's part of the process too, is there's the brief and then there's this slight evolution or twist on it that becomes all the more powerful for what it is. And, um, you know, that's fascinating because, Words matter. That wasn't the topic of this of this chat, but that's we just ended. No, up.
0: no, we don't worry. We have <laughs> we got plenty of time to ramble here. Um, but we were I started this whole words matter thing by asking, oh, "What's yeah. the same?" So that's one of the things. Words mattering as a copywriter mm-hmm. and in your role now definitely matter. And I think uh, regardless of media, that the importance of words and the meaning of what you're trying to convey has never changed. But give me some of the big the big differences that. Um, it doesn't have to be specifically Mm -hmm. about your role, but really just, you have a good perspective on the industry, you know, how, what's different today than, than when we were both starting out about the creative process.
1: I don't know if, I don't know if anything about the creative process itself is radically different. I mean, of course, of course, things have changed timeline. I just talked myself out of my original opinion. Timeline is the biggest thing that's changed. (laughs) Um, you know, obviously that, that is a big thing, right? The, the process is still kind of the same. You think of stuff, maybe that's good. Maybe that's not, I don't know. Stuff dies. You bounce it off. Creative directors, they don't like it. You change it. Oh, this is great. They like it. Account, account director points out a fatal flaw that nobody else saw before. Ah, crap. We didn't know that. We go back, we fix it come back. I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of that, right? Lots of stuff dies and that's just the process, right? You have something yeah. and it keeps evolving. Um, It's just, you, you know, I think when we got, when, when we started out, you used to have months to work on that and, and evolve it and keep coming back in different rounds. And, and then you go into testing and stuff like that. And even if it was accelerated, you usually had a couple of weeks, whereas, right. you know, we're talking days and sometimes hours depending on the medium um, with which you have to get it done. And then there's so many more, uh, media channels to think about. I don't think that really affects the process, but it certainly affects um, uh, it affects craft. You, you know, if you are the, the craftsmanship of writing an ad, whether you're writing a radio ad or a television ad or a print ad, which is all that existed when I got started. Uh, broadly speaking. Um, there's a craftsmanship. you could get really good at that, and it was it's not easy to write a thirty second TV spot. People think it is, but almost every junior writer's first work is like the thirty second spots are forty five seconds long or right and a half <laughs> and there's too many things and and all that stuff. And so you 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 sort of you you forget that the end title card actually takes four and a half seconds and you you assume it's instantaneous. Like you don't have to count that, no. um, all that stuff, right? There's there's craftsmanship you have to learn. Well, now there are so many other media channels, and and the, to understand the craft of what's going to be what's what's the the, the right compelling way to create a a video um, that we're going to run in Instagram stories that that contains a swipe up uh, call to action that then has a little uh, uh, vertically built landing page you know, to entice them. Like, that's just, that's an ad format that didn't exist not that long ago. And so we quickly try to understand that what's, what works there, but the crafts, it's, it's really hard to become a great craftsman at that because as soon as you do, they change it and something else comes along and there's, it's too generalized. So, um, you know, something I think about a lot is, is this, this idea of, do we, is it good to have digital specialists or should everybody understand digital because we just work in the digital world, right? And I do th- personally think having watched it for a while, at least the way the world is right now, I think it helps when people specialize and can hone their craft on certain platforms, whether that makes them a digital specialist or not, you know, there are unique traits to social platforms and it's changing quickly. And if people can become specialists at that and really understand how to craft great content for that, that's a different skill set than people who can make really beautiful print ads or posters or right. or whatever. Um and I think lots of creatives can do lots of those things well, but I've I've really met people who do all of those things really well just because they right, they change exactly. so much.
0: Yeah, I've always thought of building a creative department as uh making a net and you're just trying to cover ground with people that can lay across And it's like a hammock that you're trying Mm -hmm. to create and you're just trying to cover as much surface area as you can. And this person's skills go this way and this person's skills cross over here and over there. Uh, And it's different people who have a different combination of skills. And I agree with you about, you know, someone who's good at two or three different platforms and generally is a good writer or designer or can code is more useful than trying to have someone who's a generalist with, okay, they have a TV spot, they have a YouTube campaign, they've got a Snapchat uh, lens, they've got this and they've Mm -hmm. got that. So we can pretty much assign them anything. It it doesn't work that way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that's, um, you know, getting back to your question, I think those are some of the different aspects uh, of of things that have changed. Uh, and, and that's just a few of them, obviously, you know, in terms of, of what's different. It's, there's so many little things, but the process is still the same. How we think of it is still the same, but there's just so much more of it, and you have to do it so much faster.
0: How do you work with – you're working with new brands on a pitch. You're talking to them, and uh, – Around new business time is when the the CMO at the at the brand or the VP of marketing gets real frisky about wanting to know about whatever the new platforms are mm-hmm. and they're kind of woken up and said, Oh, there's this new thing that our old agency never showed us. You know, how do you bring them change if they're asking or not asking? Maybe is even a better example. How do you bring that change to them in a way that's productive and not just um, you know, shiny new object?
1: Um you know, I actually think in new business, it's way easier to do it in new business than it is the rest of the time, right? So, I mean, the last four and a half years, I've I've been focused primarily on new business stuff and not, not the ongoing servicing of accounts. So there's certainly been a lot of change um, from that standpoint that I haven't been involved with day to day, the way that a lot of our, our other teams here have. But um, I, I think... There's still generally a truth that you know when when the the train is going, it's really hard to say. Oh, we need to make this radical change. It's 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 hard to take the time that is needed to be able to focus on that and convince people. Oh yeah, that's that's what we should do. We should invest in whatever this this change thing is. During a new business pitch, everything is up for grabs. Right, the the, the relationship is new. Everything is new. And so how do you how do you bring it back to just not showing them a shiny object. It's always just that you have to be ruthlessly focused on what are their objectives. I, it's always driven me a little bonkers when, when I get briefs or whether it's a, I mean, a creative brief or a client brief or whatever, where the objectives are fuzzy, um, where they just want to equate a feeling with the brand or whatever. It's like, how will we know if we did that? Like, it's so, so right. <laughs> it's, or, or whether that mattered, right? It's like dictating the solution, not telling me what the problem is. You know, if if I'm supposed to make a, a Coke fun, how do I know that fun is the thing that's going to make a difference? Why not? Why not give me the challenge of how do we increase Coke sales by ten percent or something, and then let's figure that all together? I'm, that's a massive okay. oversimplification. It's probably a bad one, but uh, th- the point being is. It, you're not going to do any shiny objects. If I know that the goal is to increase sales by 10%, I'm not going to bring like a shiny object thing and say, Oh, look at this cool virtual reality, uh, immersion thing where you're, you're swimming in Coke or whatever. I'm just going to stick with Coke because they're not a real client of ours. (laughs) Um, And, uh, (laughs) it's like, okay, that's interesting, but why, you know, simply being engaging, isn't the same thing as, being engaging and communicating or being engaging and persuasive or, or or mattering. I like, I like this phrase of advertising that matters because it, it it works for me on a couple levels. Like it needs to matter to the people. It needs to matter to the audience. Like, Oh, I'm interested in this, but it also has to matter because it, 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 it has an effect. It, it, works. (laughs) works. <laughs> and, and so if you judge it by that, yeah, it's right. It if that's a meaning. Yeah. it's a matter on both of those things in order to be successful. If it's going to communicate, everything needs to communicate, but people choose to ignore it. Well, now you just have to spend a lot more money in order to make it work. If it's really engaging, but doesn't, isn't persuasive or in, doesn't inspire people to buy that product or service, then great, but it didn't really do what you wanted it to do. Uh, and again, I'm oversimplifying, but that that's uh, that's the key. I, I I'm not a big fan of shiny objects. I think it's great to go in and experiment and figure out like what can we do with, I don't know, a 3D printer or what can we do with, um, uh, augmented reality. You know, Magic Leap just just came out. What can we go make on Magic Leap? And we could be the first, we're the first brand to come up with a Magic yeah. Leap integration. Great. So, the eighteen people with magic leap goggles, yeah, I mean, basically, all those are really is is a um a PR play y- You're doing something new because that's going to be newsworthy to a degree, but more often than not, it's
0: yeah, usually, that's so exactly it. newsworthy for the agency and not the brand. I mean, it goes in it goes into ad week and somebody does a write up about it and says well this creative director and chief technology officer right. came up with this idea and great right you know, so what, that's that really that's happen. it that's
1: <laughs> the simple the simple prism i mean one of the the most interesting things i think about uh the role that i have now versus uh uh you know when i was a, a copywriter and a creative director and and to me it's been very liberating um and and you know in fairness i get uh i have this i have this uh, you know or i had a, a love hate relationship with with being a creative there's there's definitely things i miss about that too and from an identity perspective it's it's not always easy to uh not be part of the creative department um but i don't miss uh having to be more concerned about what's in my portfolio than doing what's right for our clients. And unfortunately the the industry is built yep. that your portfolio gets you your next job. If you're winning awards, it gets you your next job, it gets you bonuses, gets you promoted. It's it's all that stuff. And so there is a game that needs to be played in order to thrive in that. You have to pay attention.
0: Yeah, it creates a real it creates a real conflict of interest for the the people that are making the creative and for the agency itself, that is a lot of times at odds with the yeah. business interest of the client, because we're, we're chasing different ends.
1: It, it is, and I I always struggled with that. And then I felt like, and the worst then is when you are actually do, trying your best to care about the client's work, and it, it still gets nitpicked or henpacked to death, and then and then it isn't actually what you feel like should be in their best interest, nor is it good. <laughs> it's, it's like the worst.
0: That's, that is the that is the depressing place to yeah. be. And you're like, no, no, you don't understand. I was bending over backwards to help you. I
1: know. It's like I really just want to help you. I really do. I promise. And they still think you're you're trying to pull a fast one over. And and so it, it, there's a real there's a real problem of trust. And I think if we don't And, you know, we make a a big deal about that at the agency, that that the trust and and that we have to be able to do these things in the service of our clients. But we believe that great creativity produces massively outsized results. Like it's a competitive advantage. When we're true about that, you come up with the right kind of ideas and you don't come up with an idea that's just a shiny object for ad press headlines. And ad press is great. Obviously, we want that too. But it's not just that.
0: It yeah. can't be, right? I want to ask you about something you just said uh, as it relates to your identity mm-hmm. because um, part of part of your changing role has meant you've kind of become a little bit of a chameleon. You've changed your your role. And there is such, especially at big agencies and especially famous agencies, I'd put Sachi New York in that category. Uh, as a creative director, you're part of a weird, it's not a fraternity, it's not a club, but you are part of a, a pretty elite group mm-hmm. of people There's not that many people that have the title, although it seems like there's more people today than there were, Uh, but you do have, it's, it's like having the varsity jacket or whatever the equivalent is, uh, in whatever the cool brand of headphones is today, I guess you're in that club and you, and then when you give it up, yeah. yeah, talk to me about what that was like giving that up and, and. And when you've been in rooms and thought, "Oh, I used to do this, or I wish I could now step yeah. back into that." And well, that. and I,
1: and then I want you to comment on the same thing because you, you had a, a similar switch. It's um, it is hard, and I I'm I'm conscious that it really is identity driven, right? Like, there's just sometimes that I still I, I identify I self-identify as a creative person, um, and, uh, and then so 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 it's hard when you're not doing that because you then have to defer to the rest of the team. Um the team that people that are do are doing that job right now. <clears throat> and, and and it is kind of funny, right? Because it, <laughs> so if I come in and I, I I I lead new business as part of what I do here, and yet I'd never done that before, but I had actually spent twenty-two years as a creative director. So um it's it, you know, I, I love that I can try new challenges, and I'm fascinated by that. And I, I, I love what I'm doing right now. It's fun, and it's challenging, and it's interesting, and, and 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 all that stuff. But there is still a, a this weird like internal uh, uh, ego battle of um, of feeling bummed that uh, I'm not part of that club anymore, and and it is something to struggle That's with weird. a little bit. But at, at the same time, I think I become a stronger person by rising above that and not by by putting the the my sense of power in my job title. I hate job titles. Like my title actually, when I first first was evolved a few times, when I first came to RPA, it was the director of growth and innovation, because that's what we made up. Um, and then it became the director of creative, comma, marketing and innovation. And somebody misinterpreted that one time to think it was the director of creative marketing and innovation, which I actually thought that was really cool. I should have stuck with that. Um, but the problem is nobody ever knew what it meant. Like, it, it, you know, it's just, it's, it's just hard. There's a period when I was working for Hyper Island where I just went without a title for six months because I hated all the different titles. Um, and that was hard too, I know, but you
0: have to be able to describe I know. what you're, what you're I know. Doing so, about, you so,
1: know? so, so it's all weird. And, um, y- you know, I, I like the title I have now. It's, it sounds important and all that, but at the same time, um, people tend to project what they assume it is because it might be how somebody else, it's, it's not a role that is the same by any stretch of the imagination from agency to agency. I know a lot of people who do what I do and they're all very different people.
0: Yeah. But that's true about creative director too. I mean, I've had, and you I'm sure have had so many different types of creative directors that behave in different ways or have different expectations for you. It's the role kind of gets put into a, I think a a the box, job
1: is the same like they're, they're the way they approach it might be different, but the job is fundamentally the same as a creative director for the most part where yeah y- you know this any, anybody CMO yeah it can smart. mean so many different things and then even what you choose to focus on within it is is completely different uh because some people focus very much on the biz dev part of it, and that's not i mean i, I want to build to bring a business, but it's not I'm not a salesperson I don't go out and cold call people or anything like that. Right. That's not what I'm good at.
0: I need you to start doing that. though. I might get that. I might get those phone lines,
1: uh, the request soon, but you know, it's not, <laughs> it's, it's not what I'm particularly good at. I am good at talking to people. I am good at networking. I am good at, uh, at thought leadership and, and, um, uh, uh I'm, I'm good at listening to clients and, and understanding what they actually have to deal with. You know, that's what I did a lot of at, at Hyper Island. Was we we're working with a lot of brands as well as agencies, and you know when you're working directly with them and you aren't an agency and you aren't trying to sell a creative product, they they share stuff with you. That's that you know, the relationship's so different because they believe we've been hired to help them, and so there's nothing in, in between where they think we're trying to sell something that isn't what they need. Uh, the relationship is very right. very different, and so I, I do think I've gotten very good at understanding how to hear. Clients and what they're really looking for, and then I know what we're trying to do and how to serve that up. So, and that's how I approach that role. But lots of other people might approach that role differently, and and it's just so different. Whereas, at least creative directors in general, the role is usually to be the person who oversees the creative teams and 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 then help represent that, help help polish the product, and then take it to the clients. It's still primarily always the same job.
0: I guess, for as much as change that that has been uh has been we yeah, just consistent. have less
1: time now, and there's more layers to it, but yeah
0: <laughs> <a little> less <laughs> yeah. glamour
1: less Don Draper, more just chaos,
0: yeah, totally well, this has been great um Tim, tell everybody where they can find you on oh, the interwebs.
1: uh the the yeah my favorite place is actually is on twitter uh where i am tim underscore leak that's t i m underscore l e a k e uh some jerk took tim leak. The straight word, and and never ever tweets from it. So I've been know. stuck with the underscore version. Yeah. Uh, I like that better. If I haven't met people in person, I'm not an open networker on LinkedIn. So by all means, follow me on LinkedIn. But I don't. If I haven't met you, I won't accept the invitation. Uh, it's not to be rude.
0: Well, you got some real, you got some real standards. Uh, Tim. You know,
1: it's just otherwise, I don't actually know my, I don't understand who my real network is. Like, I've got a lot of people in there who I've met, who I know, who I want to keep in touch with. And if all of a sudden there's like, I don't know, two hundred other people I've never met. Like what's it's the, hard to get and done. LinkedIn, I can't believe they haven't solved that problem. They haven't just come out with a way to a,
0: separate. Don't even get me started on yeah,
1: it. exactly. i we'll, anyway. we
0: could do seven whole seven episode series oh, this, on how broken LinkedIn this, is. The
1: strategy of yeah, and yet it's a fantastic tool in, in a lot of other places. Actually, I love LinkedIn. Sure. But uh yeah, Twitter's the best place to get me. There's nothing on my website right now, so I won't give that. And check out rpa.com or our um the the agency website.
0: Absolutely. You'll be updating the copy tonight, I'm sure.
1: (laughs) Second-guess it constantly.
0: (laughs) All right, man. This has been wonderful. Thank you so Um, much. There's a lot of fun. Thank you very much. All right. So long.